Welcome back to Code 53, a podcast presented by the National Multifamily Housing Council, um, officially on episode two. Thanks to everyone who tuned into episode one. Um, I am Kevin Cameron, our Director of Advocacy and Strategic Engagement. And I am Allison Johnson, Associate Vice President of Content and Program Strategy. And we are so excited to be back for episode two. We made it. People are listening. We are real. We are live. How does it feel to be famous, Allison? Um, well, I can tell you that my mom was a really big fan of episode one. So I'm excited to bring episode two to the world and um, have more listeners join in and hear about the multifamily industry, what we work on daily, and who we interact with. We are so excited to be back for episode two. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for liking and following and rating us. If you haven't, please go do it. We want people to find us. Um, So, Allison, last episode, we had a tremendous interview, if I do say so myself, with Ken Valak and David Schwartz. And one thing they kept talking about is, you know, what they do as leaders of these multifamily firms, it's not all about the numbers. It's about the impact they're having. But at the end of the day, the numbers matter. You have to make the numbers work for any development to go forward. So I thought this time, let's dive into what are those numbers? You know, NMHC offers a great opportunity for us to kind of break this down in a simple manner through the Young Guns pitch competition that happens each year at the NMHC annual meeting. For those of you who don't know, each year, the NMHC Emerging Leaders Committee, the same committee that helped us make this podcast a reality, put together the Young Guns pitch competition, um, which is a mock investment committee. And before we kind of get into what that competition is, Allison, maybe you could kind of break down for us, what the heck is a pitch? What does that even mean? What is this? What are we mocking up here? You mean, what's all the pitching about? Exactly. That was a good one. Oh, good. thank you. Thank you. I, I It took me a couple of minutes to think of it, but I'm glad I did. Nailed it. Nailed it. What is a real estate pitch? I mean, the term gets thrown around quite frequently and anyone who has worked in finance before, or if you're paying attention to what is happening in the financial world, capital money moves freely and goes to places and invests. So a pitch in this instance, with respect to commercial real estate investments, are when an owner or a developer has a project, a specific asset, for which they are trying to receive private equity funding. And that means they're going out to institutional investors or if they are a REIT themselves and they are trying to present this project for investment um, from their own portfolio. So a pitch tells you about the deal. It is um, something that is like where the asset is, where the market is located, what the submarket is, specific things about the asset itself, Um, information about the business plan on how you'd like to invest the money. Um, More importantly, what kind of revenues or income streams happen and within that property or will need to happen within that property to seek a return on the money that you've invested. And then also you have an entire outline of the financing of the deal itself of like from 
beginning, you know, investment partners to equity and debt to uh, continuing operations. So you outline the financial plan or business plan. And then all of this is also wrapped up in a pitch about who you are as a credible vehicle fiduciary for the money that you're asking to be invested in this deal. So it's basically like, I've got this building I either want to develop or redevelop. I need your money and this is why. Exactly. And in this instance, the pitch competition is go is in front of an investment committee. An investment committee is a special vehicle of uh, an asset manager or a REIT or a private equity fund that has an investment strategy that this committee then reviews all pitches or applications for funds to decide whether or not that is a good investment vehicle for them to distribute monies into to to obtain or reach their own investment goals. So they're the really smart gatekeepers to the bank account. They are gatekeepers to the bank account. Absolutely. And there are people who come from the company, um, who come from other LPs or limited partners or general partners. Um, There are people on operations teams, people on the actual construction team, and um, always involved is the chief investment officer or chief financial officer. That's great. I mean, it really, it seems like a lot of companies, and we'll kind of get into this, um, spoiler alert, a little later, um, but there's a wide breadth of expertise in these committees to make sure that, because they are judging, you know, these are large investments that they're making either in these development or redevelopment deals. Um, You're going to put a lot of money into this. You need to make sure that it's going to work. Yes. I mean, in the end, you need to make sure that um, it is a safe investment, Um, but also that the project that you are specifically investing in, it has good intentions, right? That you are investing in a way that benefits the people going to live in it, the people who are working in that building and your organization in general. Yeah. I mean that, you know, tying it back to what David and Ken said in episode one, that we are building communities. We are, the multifamily industry is, you know, so unique that we are not just building a building to do a bunch of things. We are building homes and communities and this build this, you know, this investment that's before these ICs is going to be part of a living, breathing community at one point. That's right. Um, so now talking, taking that and kind of relating it back to the Young Guns pitch competition, basically what happens is we take that entire process you just described and shrink it down and put it on stage. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's honey, I shrunk the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, Emerging Leaders Committee sends out an, an application, a search for applications for folks to apply for this this competition. And they are given a mock pitch. They are given an investment. Um, they are given in this time, in this instance this year, they were given a value add deal in just outside of Atlanta. And they were charged with coming up with that pitch. Why should we invest in, and not just why should we invest in this asset, but in the way their plan describes. I think that's the key here is that all the pitchers were given the same asset to you know, come up with a plan for and present to three judges who are 
senior executives in their own right, in their own companies. Yeah. And that's what makes this competition um, really fun. And we'll talk later on in our episode with um, some of the organizers on the EL committee, um, specifically uh, Field Stern of Redwood Capital Group, who is uh, the chair of the EL committee this year, and Rishi Gupta of Eagle Rock Properties, who led the program committee that reorganized and structured the pitch competition. Um, The whole purpose and intent, really, of of using a single case study was to give everyone who was participating in the competition a level playing field, the same deal, the same market, um, and the same information for which each of them could use their own financial acumen and creativity to design um, an investment vehicle um, that the investment committee uh, could review objectively. Well, before we hear from Field and Rishi, I have the pleasure of sitting down um, with the winning pitcher, Clayton Williams of Carter Haston, and one of the esteemed judges, Lori Baker of Camden, um, who is also one of NMHC's newest officers. We are so happy to have her on board to kind of break down what the competition was and then kind of see from Lori's perspective as a judge, what she was looking for and what she does look for as a member of Camden's investment committee when she goes into this meeting. And from Clayton's perspective as a pitcher on how he broke down this deal and what he was looking for to help his plan stand apart from the other competitors. So if we're good, I hear let's dive right into what we had to talk about with Lori and Clayton. Let's do it. So I had the pleasure of sitting down with Lori Baker, Chief Operating Officer at Camden, who is one of the judges of this year's Young Gun Pitch Competition. And for those who are interested in, you know, speaking to the heavy hitters that were on the stage as part of this mock investment committee um, that these folks were, you know, pitching to, we had Sue Ansel, the CEO of Gables Residential, and Ricardo Rivas, the CEO of Allied Orion. Quick fact, did you know that Ricardo Rivas was actually a young gun pitcher when this competition first started? Pretty impressive. So as you can see, there are this is not uh, for the faint of heart. You really had to, you know, put put yourself on the line for this competition, um, which speaks to the the caliber of individual that was stepping up to participate. Um, and speaking of that, I also got a chance to talk with Clayton, who won the competition, um, Clayton Williams of Carter Haston. So I wanted to first talk about Lori and her experience. Um, she is a member of Camden's Investment Committee. She has been a member of Camden's Investment Committee since they set up their first investment fund. So she has a wide range of experience um, in these, these sorts of settings. And I think some interesting notes about her experience um, is that Lori is deeply involved in the operations side of Camden. And that's the perspective she brings to the investment committee um, at Camden and what she was looking for um, in the pitches she heard. I'll let her speak for herself about what she was looking for in a pitch and what she looks for in the pitches she hears from the investment committee. You're really looking at, you know, in, in every case, um, whether or not you know, the, the assumptions, the underlying assumptions kind of kind of live up to your, your thesis as well as can we execute? And given our experience, 
uh, you know, as a pretty savvy operator, you know, we know that we can create value with our management teams and our platform, but the numbers have to work. In the end, you know, you have to not only have a quality asset, but you got to be able to, to generate returns that make sense and, 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 you know, mitigating all the risk. And I mean, you can, you can take a look at all of those things, but, but it's got to be sound. Um, and, and so that's kind of how we approach it. What does it take to run the asset in order to get the return that you're looking at? One of the things I shared, and I've learned this from, enjoying, from joining the investment committee, is it used to be, you know, a lot of people are looking at the numbers. You know, they're looking at kind of the details, you know, um, from uh, an engineering standpoint, what are any challenges with the building? But one of the things you have to understand, and I encourage all the end of, all the members in the room, is you gotta you gotta go talk with your operations teams. They're the ones that have to run it, and they gotta be able to to execute on whatever assumptions you have in those numbers. So you better go figure out, you know, who's your experts on your team, because that's ultimately how you harvest value these days. So as you can see, for Lori, it's it's not just about the numbers, as we talked about earlier. It's really making the asset work. I mean, if you look at Camden's strategy, they are a long-term holder. They hold their assets for 10 to 15 years. They're not looking for a quick turnaround. Um, so Lori is really coming in from her perspective looking at how is this asset going to operate and run? And I think that's an important point that Lori raises uh, here is that the investment committee and not just at Camden, I, I could, you could probably say more broadly, the investment committee is looking at the long-term value of, or to their hold point for their investment in a property throughout its life cycle can they, how are they going to own and operate this property? So it isn't only the dollars that they're putting in, it's the dollars that will be cycled through this building in order to keep the water on flowing, the energy on, and help um, people move in and out of the property. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, stepping into the shoes of someone like Clayton, who was pitching it, you have to look at all those aspects. It's, it's not just saying, all right, write me, you know, a however many million dollar check and let's buy this building and we're going to make so much money. you got to look at all the factors, where are their opportunities, where are their challenges. Um, so let's go right in and let's hear, Clayton had some interesting things to say about what he looks for, because he actually does, he's part of the acquisitions team at Carter Haston. So he does this for a living, going in, finding and identifying assets to for potential investment for Carter Haston. So I want to play a little bit of what he said he was looking for at the asset for this competition. Yeah, I you know, really approached this kind of how we would typically look at a normal investment. Um, so, you know, did the underwriting, put the pitch deck together. I would say the, you know, the really the main difference between this approach here versus a, a normal deal that we would be working on was like tried to, I tried to really focus on certain aspects of the business plan that would be different would be different I thought would be different compared to some of the other candidates which is what I had seen in past years seeing the competition where it seemed like the people who were, who were who had won were either wanted development a development property that had higher yields but if it was a value add or more an actual uh, acquisition it was there was usually some differentiating factor that made that that person win the one piece that was the most difficult um, and different than what a normal what you a normal kind of investment you'd be working on in real real time was you didn't actually get to go 
tour the property, tour the comps, which is, you know, one thing that we as a firm like to, you know, for, we've got the property management and the operational um, background as well with our firm. So, you know, when we, when we, when we're working on a, any type of investment opportunity, it's not just the acquisition folks that are going in and touring. We've got our actual property management teams or construction teams. And th- those people really help us get a good gauge on, you know, for, for this, for example, as a value add. So, you know, getting a better understand our construction teams give us a better understanding of what what we should expect from a capex standpoint from from cost and then just uh you know we may have a a a tenured uh, property management person that's located locally that will come tour the market with us and you know maybe no no people that are working at some of the comps which really gives us a good insight into you know really what the market's doing and how the comps are performing. So as Clayton says, you really got to know this asset inside and out. As we were just saying, you know, it's not just about the money; it's about operating. We are investing in homes and communities that need to operate and provide a service for their residents. Um, it's different than you know investing money in the stock market and just hoping that the line goes up. Right. I mean. There is something to be said about the real estate industry and how it approaches investments. It's while there's constantly this perception that real estate developers are almost like wildcatters, right? Looking for dirt to turn or properties to turn over. That isn't in that is not a holistic look at real estate investors. They are Yes, looking at valuations and returns, but they are looking at the integrity of a property and how they can contribute to that asset in a way that sustains that property's value and connection in the community. Yeah, and not just sustains the property, but let's, you know, multifamily is so unique that we are, this is, we are providing homes for people. It's not just, you know, an office or a storefront that's going to be open during business hours. This is where someone lives, works now with the post pandemic, people are working at home, live at home, feeding their kids, raising their kids. I mean, it's really high stakes. So you got to really look at all of the possible opportunities that an invest that a investment might bring, but also the challenges that it can present. And I think Excellent. both Glory and Clayton had some great ideas on what, they look at when, you know, breaking down a potential investment asset. Um, where are the opportunities? And so I talked to Lori and Clayton both about this asset that they were presented. Again, for those listening, it was a value add asset. Allison, why don't we actually break down what does value add mean? Value add um, means is a type of asset that has already been developed and is currently in the marketplace. And value add is a terminology that is used for investors to say that there is an opportunity to invest a little extra money into the property's facade, its landscaping, its resident um, units, whether it be uh, kind of like new low flow toilets, new refrigerators, um, to new amenity spaces, to smart home technologies. Those investments are considered value adds to the um, assessment of the property, thereby increasing the value of the property. I really love when like a nebulous term is really exactly what it means, value add. And that is a great segue to kind of talk about what Lori was looking for as she broke down this asset. 
being able to, because they were given the specs beforehand. So she kind of had the opportunity to look at this asset and say, what do I want these pitchers to bring up? What do I see as someone who has been investing, you know, for Camden for a very long time? What pain points do I see? What issues will will um, require some funds down the road? So let's hear from Lori real quick on what, how she broke down this asset. So we have the ability to look at all the operating expenses and determine, you know, when we overlay our operating expenses on it on a potential acquisition and we run the numbers through it, you know, we've got a good gut check as to what that's going to look like. And then you go and evaluate what else could be creating some additional expense concerns or challenges that you have to just incorporate that into your numbers. So we're just looking to make sure, you know, the, the, the asset or the opportunity was really thoughtfully considered and then, you know, the numbers make sense. So I think Lori breaks it down really well. Like you've got to look at the the positives and the negatives, you know, where can you create additional income, but what are you going to have to fix up for people to be able to live there? Um, I think you'll hear from Clayton that there needs to be some updating. It is an older building. Um, so what is going to require some capital expenditure down the road or right off the bat to be able to move in and, you know, up, uh, acquire some new renters for the building. Um, so now knowing what Lori was looking for, I think it's interesting to talk about what Clayton, what he identified. Yeah. So I, it was funny. I actually, I, I didn't know that the, uh, that each person was given the same, the same deal until like a week before, which uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe a blessing and a curse. I'm not sure if I would have approached it any differently, but I would say, like I mentioned, like I really was looking for things that would differentiate my business plan from the others. And I knew that, you know, everyone was going to probably underwrite a very similar uh, interior renovation scope, you know, do the typical, like, you know, replace the cabinets, put in new flooring, uh, paint it, you know, just kind of the common stuff. And so I really spent most of my time focusing on the financials, focusing on other income, focusing on really the breakout of the rent roll. Um, and how they were charging for rents. And so I'd say the the, the two kind of major pieces that I spent the most time on was one, the, uh, the amenity premiums, which they had, uh, it was kind of interesting. The property has, there's three floors. Um, the first two floors were eight foot ceilings. The top floor was nine foot ceilings and they were charging the same amount. There was no premium for having the nine foot ceiling versus the eight foot ceiling. So adding premiums there, adding premiums, on the first floor, which is just better access to parking and the, the common areas. Um, and then there was a few units that had vaulted ceilings where I added some additional premiums there. So that, that was kind of, that was part one. And then on the, uh, the, the other income items, you know, this, the property had been owned for 15 years by the, by the previous owner. And um, I think probably when they owned it, they were, they were probably cash flowing really well and they weren't, very focused on a lot of the uh, kind of other income items that were that they could have been charging for. So, like you know, there wasn't valet trash. They weren't charging for pet income um, and a kind of a couple other various items. And so, really digging in and understanding where uh, you know, I, I called called around the comps to figure out what they were charging. And there was there were several other income items that um, ultimately uh, that I added in. So, like I would say the the other income and the um, the amenity premiums, like on a capped value, was like a little over. I think it was almost ten million dollars of value um, once fully implemented. So those were the, those are really the two pieces where I spent the most time and tried to figure, figure, figure out from an operational standpoint. 
it's so interesting to hear him walk through what he saw in this asset. Um, I mean, I would have never thought that like, you know, an apartment that may have eight foot ceilings versus nine foot ceilings or even vaulted ceilings like that makes a difference. But just seeing, hearing someone break down what they believe could add value and be able to, you know, cover bad debt or provide some wiggle room for capital expenditures that need to happen to replace something like that poly piping. Um, so it's just so interesting to hear what yeah. you can, where you can find opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, um, hearkening back to long ago in episode one, we heard Ken talk about that. Remember, he talked about when he first started out in the 80s, one of the first things he did when he joined Trammell Crow and moved to Texas was he went to every property in the area and he walked it. And he, you know, air quoting here, kicked the tires on these properties where um, he looked at how many elevators were there and, how, you know, was there a parking garage? Was there security? These are aspects of every built um, community that an investor is looking at to say, does this compare with the properties around it? Does this meet what I think are the minimum elements or aspects of a property for the price I am paying? And depending on what I'm seeking in return for this property, whether it's an immediate return in a three to five year time frame or longer out, such as like Camden does 10 to 15 years at least, um, will my investment over time repay me the in interest and um, appreciation for what I put into it? Yeah, and I think, I mean, Clayton points out one of his biggest challenges in creating this presentation for this competition is he couldn't go tour the uh, the asset itself or even neighboring. I think he he mentioned as I was talking to him that, you know, Carter Haston does some, some, has some assets in the area of, you know, Buckhead and greater Atlanta, um, where he kind of knew what he could do in that area. But I think, you know, it's the difference between like, buying a car online or being able to go look at a, the actual car you want to purchase yourself. Like there are little things you don't notice unless you can absolutely see it for yourself. Institutional owners and operators and managers are managing communities and they know they're build, managing communities for their residents. There is also a pay the piper. Every owner and operator is going to look to ensure that the value of the property is sustained per the commitments that they have made to their investors. And so that is why we're looking at the numbers here because the numbers are important into keep making sure that this community continues to be operated as a residence for renters, um, but also that there is enough revenue coming from this property so they can invest in other properties and communities around the country. Yeah. And I think coming from Lori's perspective on the operations side, you also have to think about, you know, it's not just getting the bills paid, but it's paying the the front desk staff who work at these, paying the maintenance staff, keeping the maintenance up, whether it's landscaping, whether it's trash, all these things cost money to be able to keep these, again, communities that we're creating up and running for the residents to live there. So there's, at the end of the day, making sure that the balance sheets work, that the asset can continue to operate as a multifamily building is super important. So at the end of the day, the numbers do matter to an extent. They do. So putting all that together, I think it'd be great to hear um, why Clayton won. Um, Lori gives a great breakdown. If you know, the numbers are great. 
then you know it's going to work. The asset looks great. But what is it that made Clayton stand apart? And what makes any pitch stand apart? You know, going into an investment committee, you're going to hear multiple pitches for multiple different assets, but you only have a certain amount of money to invest. So what makes that? No one's picking a bad asset to uh, present to an investment committee unless they're bad at their job. Um, but what is it that they're, you're, you're going to get that green light? So let's hear what Lori had to say about that. So, yeah, you're going to be nervous about it. But you know what? I want to see some 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 uh, kind of in, enthusiastic energy kind of shining through as you're really excited about this deal. Tell me the story. Help me understand why you think it's a good investment that we should be approving, whether, you know, it's a $75 million deal, a $100 million deal. We're talking, these are significant dollars. There, you know, there's, there's risk there, but I want to see the passion behind it and make sure you're committed to kind of executing the deal and you've done your homework. And that comes through in a presentation. You can tell when somebody, you know, they're commenting in the presentation. Yeah, I've reached out to this group. I've, you know, I understand the market. Here's what's going on in the comps. I mean, the package always has this stuff, but I want to hear them talk about it and be convincing um, with the fact that, they put their own money into this deal. And we typically ask that, would you put your own money into this deal? And if somebody hesitates, you're like, all right, they're, they're, I'm <laughs> worried now. Let's hear from Lori why Clayton shined head and shoulders above the others. Um, well, uh, first off, I'll just say all three presenters did a really good job sharing, you know, kind of their unique investment thesis and their perspectives. They they all fielded the questions really nicely. Um, we think we weren't too hard on them, um, you know, but but it's not for the faint of heart. Let's face it, uh, for any investment committee meeting, especially in front of a large audience. Um, <laughs> the added peers, audience probably adds a little bit to it. Right. If they're peers and industry leaders. So, you know, you, you look in the room and you're like, wow, they all really uh, did a good job. It takes a little bit of courage and conviction to uh, step up to the plate. Um, so really kudos to you know, Eli Chester and, and Brian Kelly, who were, you know, competing up there. But in the end, Clayton just hit on all the issues and aspects of the deal that we were looking for as judges, um, you know, that we, and we had identified that really needed to be addressed, as I had mentioned earlier in my, my comments. I, I think, you know, he did a, a really nice job at articulating the strategy, um, you know, putting together really clean slides. His, his slide decks were really easy to kind of follow and, and understand. And that's, um, and we thought that, you know, he had reasonable assumptions in his numbers. Although I, I will point out, um, you know, we didn't buy his exit cap rate um, <laughs> at a 3.5 and gave him a little ribbing, but um, in the end he, he took the trophy and um, I think it was a great experience for, for all. And, and then just inspiring to see how much work all three of the presenters did. It was very impressive. I think Lori's comments here also illustrate the, dare I say it, the art of the pitch. It takes confidence as well as financial understanding to deliver a pitch well and convincingly. And uh, Clayton, uh, we have to admit, it was, uh, we were a little shocked by the pricing that you were looking to exit and the pricing you were going to pay for it. And, and uh, but we got to say, we were really impressed with also with your presentation on the detail and all the way you analyzed it. So 
with, with that said, uh, Clayton, I think you're going to take the trophy. All right. <laughs> Excellent. So, Kevin, what we just heard was a live recording of Ricardo Rivas, CEO of Allied Orion Group out of, I believe it's Houston, Texas, who is one of the judges for the Young Guns Pitch Competition, sharing the, um, the judge's decision uh, for Clayton in Clayton's favor uh, for the pitch competition. So that was the big reveal. Um, and we've had now an opportunity to talk about what makes a convincing presentation, um, specifically from Lori Baker's point of view and Clayton's point of view as they were present in the competition itself. So listener, for your background, I had an interview with Field Stern, Managing Director of Investments at Redwood Capital Group in Chicago, Illinois, who is the incoming chair of the Emerging Leaders Committee for NMHC, and Rishi Gupta, Partner and Managing Director of Investments at Eagle Rock Properties in New York, who is the incoming co-vice chair of Emerging Leaders. He serves alongside with Tessie Dahlin of Bell Partners. So I asked Rishi and Field what it is about the Young Guns competition that makes it such a popular event. For the record, the first voice you hear on this recording is Rishi's and the second is Field's. So um, I've always enjoyed the Young Guns competition. Um, I always thought it was a rare platform where you can see how best uh, in class firms are looking at different investments and hear how leaders of the industry who are on the panel um, respond to uh, these investment professionals. <clears throat> so it's always my favorite uh, part of the program. Uh, I really feel like it's one of the unique opportunities for people um, who are emerging as leaders to, um, to be in front of the, a very large audience within our industry, some of the best and the brightest, um, and trying to cultivate that and, and push the envelope on that was something that I just, I thought would be important. The one thing that we've always been quote unquote famous for is this Young Guns panel. I think for, for the folks that had the ability and the benefit to actually see the Young Guns panel um, last week, Rishi and team did a tremendous job of really changing the overall landscape of the, the presenting and pitching to the mock investment committee. Um, it's always been difficult to find um, people to participate just because everybody is super busy, both presenters and, and folks on the mock investment committee. And Rishi, who is uh, supported by Peter and Chris, did an excellent job, you know, getting Ricardo Rivas, Sue Ansel, and Lori Baker to join as, as judges on the mock investment committee. And I think what's special about that is, is focusing on, on Ricardo. Ricardo was part of the EL program. You know, I don't know if it was eight or nine years ago. But to be able to kind of take someone who was initially part of the beginning of the program and highlight him now as a judge on, on the panel is just something special. And I think it kind of helps solidify the importance of the networking that the EL committee kind of offers. And so for folks that are interested on the investment side, it's just a great introductory, as Rishi said, to, to be able to kind of look at how companies that we're competing against, that we're seeing active in the industry, 
look at potential investment opportunities, but it's also great to be able to see how senior leadership folks actually think about those investments and be able to kind of go back and forth on a QA. and a All right. So in effect, what we're hearing from them is that this is a showcase not only of talent, but a way for members of the multifamily peer community to openly practice, listen, and learn about how to craft a successful pitch. Yeah. I mean, it's such a unique opportunity. You don't often uh, arguably ever in the business world, get a trial run at your job. Like you don't get, um, besides like an interview, you don't get uh, opportunities to practice your pitch or go in and hone your skills other than actual live on the wire presentation. So I think it offers such a great opportunity for, you know, the up and comers in the industry to hone those skills. And not only that, but hone their skills in front of a group of people who could be hiring. Absolutely. This competition has given us a perfect example of growth opportunities that you just referenced with Ricardo Rivas. You cannot say that all growth record, track records are going to be like Ricardo's, but it is a great illustration about how this industry and this network is supportive of young professionals who want to engage, who want to learn, and who want to um, develop. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this brand um, at, at, of the Young Guns competition and with Rishi and Field. And I, I, I talked to them really about like, this is such an, a respected and fun program at NMHC's annual meeting. I mean, what were you thinking in redesigning it? Why? You know, why would you take something that has proven successful and proven um, attractive to an audience and restructure it? Why? So basically, why change it at all? Historically, Allison, the way that this worked is there were three investment professionals that, that pitched a deal that the company that they worked for um, recently acquired, whether that was in the last couple months or the last year, um, the, the EL committee selected three individuals to pitch a deal that each of their firms acquired. One of the things that we found from years prior, uh, as, um, as Field was describing, was um, in addition to being from people's individual firms, we'll typically have a deal from every, call it food group, right? With different risk spectrums, one value add deal, one core deal, and one development deal. And um, I think what was happening and what we found in the past were the, the evaluation by the panel, it was hard to um, disassociate the deal and the merits of the deal itself and the quality of the deal with how good did the presenter frame and present and provide the information and then respond to questions. And so um, we did a few things different, but that was kind of what we were trying to address. Um, the other aspect that we were trying to address was the selection process. Um, in the past, uh, the way that the presenters were selected was oftentimes through word of net mouth, through the EL committee members, networks, we wanted to open up to the overall emerging leaders committee, uh, emerging leaders list. I would think over several thousand uh, members, and so we opened it up as an application. We selected three presenters, and those were the three presenters that presented: Brian Kelly from LiveCore, Eli Chester from Blaze Capital Partners, and Clayton Williams from Carter Hastings. Three amazing presenters. 
Um, now the format was we took actually a real property um, that uh, existed in the market and that had been for sale. And then we took the information that was there and, and we modified it. One, we modified it to make sure it was continued to be anonymous, the property. Um, but then we also modified it to make sure it reflected a lot of the nuances that we see today as investment professionals when um, analyzing, underwriting, and, and, and pursuing the acquisition of a property. We wanted to make sure that it, uh, it was very relevant from a time standpoint. So that was sort of the third element of what we changed um, to make sure that the discussion was healthy around those elements that, you know, Fields firm looks at, my firm looks at, and how are other firms addressing those items? Um, and so everyone had the same case and everyone could take whatever approach they wanted. And the idea was for them, regardless of their price, it was for, it was for them to provide a cogent uh, presentation and argument for why they wanted to invest in the property and how were they looking at it. And then um, with a real focus on not giving the background of the investment, but really what was the thought process on capitalization, on hold time, on how you want to do unit renovations? How are you dealing with bad debt? How are you dealing with trade outs? And then the judges could ask very sort of targeted and thoughtful questions because they're not familiar with the single case. They can ask very um, targeted questions about the differences between people's uh, 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 approach. And I think that's what ultimately got us to the winner who we got, which was um, Clayton Williams from Carter Hasty. Kevin, you said it, like how many opportunities do you have to practice a pitch? Uh, it's normally a, a real deal, air quote, a real deal on the job learning process. Yeah, it's like it, it, it is honestly a real world midterm project. I asked Rishi if the strategy for standardizing the, the deal and the scope of the Young Guns program ultimately worked out the way he thought it would. Here's what he had to say. That absolutely. And, and it also allowed different people to take different approaches, right? There wasn't a right answer. Um, you know, we had, you know, one uh, person look at it as a three-year hold, another as a five-year hold, another as a, a seven to 10-year hold. Um, we had different prices ranging from high 80s to uh, mid-90s, high 90s. Um, and so the, uh, and everyone had different capitalization structures, you know, renovation programs. Um, and it really allowed people to discuss the deal on the same, on the same aspects, right? But then have a very, a very different perspective. I think it's great. I think the improvements um, that Rishi and Field and Peter and Chris made, I think is only going to make the program stronger going forward. I hope it brings folks, um, more folks into the fold to take advantage of this opportunity. Because I really, like we keep saying, it is such a unique opportunity to build your professional uh, skills as an investment professional. Or like you said earlier, you may not work in investments, but you may know these numbers and know how these deals break down. And maybe it's something you want to give a shot, give it a shot. Absolutely. And take your chance as a, as a pitcher in the Young Guns competition. Yeah. And I mean, we actually, we asked all of our guests on today's episode for a little bit of advice about, you know, approaching this competition in general, approaching, you know, pitching in the real world, how to approach investment committees. And I think it would be great to play a few clips of what um, Clayton Field and Rishi had to say uh, to give some advice to our listeners. 
who may be interested. We'll hear from Clayton first, what his advice for future presenters uh, and participation in the Young Guns means. You know, first of all, I would say it's a, it's a great experience just from a thinking about a making a business plan for someone for a, you know, in a setting that is different than your and then your own investment committee is definitely, it makes you think a little bit differently, um, which was, which was, which was a fun thing about this and just kind of opened up my mind a little bit on just underwriting and uh, just the, the general pitch. I think that's some great advice from Clayton on how to approach um, the Young Guns pitch competition for future participants. Um, and I think you talked to U.S. Field and Rishi more about what they learned, um, what they wish they knew going forward for their first pitch. So I think let's hear from them about what they had to say. Any sort of investment professional that has to, you know, uh, stand up and, and act sort of as a salesman um, and a steward of a deal to an investment committee, um, there are so many different paths that you can take to ultimately try and get everybody on the same page to be in a position to, you know, approve a deal and make an investment. And so, you know, I think I would have um, wished that I understood um how much time I really had. I probably, you know, spoke straight in my first committee meeting for 20, 25 minutes and probably answered, you know, unexpectedly everybody's questions to ultimately result in just getting a simple approval rather than having any sort of Q&A. Um, and so, you know, I think about, you know, each time my team's going into an IC, what are the hot points? Um, what should we focus on? What shouldn't we focus on? And adjust the pitch accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. The, you know, there's a few things that, you know, I sort of think about when discussing a deal, and especially in an, if you think about it in an investment committee format, many of the investment committee members may not be on the day to day with you. The the discussions where I've seen the investment committee the sort of be the most successful pitch is when it is a collaborative discussion. When you are able to articulate why you why the investment professional likes the property, what you know why would it be accretive to the overall portfolio, um, and then you have investment committee members who are asking questions that are targeted um, towards the uh, you know the things that really matter. Um, the other aspect of it is you always want to be uh, even-handed when you're presenting. Um, you know. Early on, I think a lot of young investment professionals, they, they want to be positive. Here are all the reasons why we should buy the deal. And, uh, and so they get into the sales mode, as Field said. Um, but I think you end up losing the audience when the discussion is very one-sided. And so you always want to make clear to the investment community members that we looked at all different aspects. Here are the things that we were concerned about, and here's why we're no longer concerned. Or here are the things that we're concerned about that we still are concerned about, but this is how we got over it. Um, and so providing a balanced approach, I think, just ends up, you end up getting a, a better result out of, your, out of your presentation. The guidance that Field and Rishi both give to their teams and to themselves on is take your time, know your deal, um, and make sure that you're delivering a delivering the material about the project in a conversational way, right? You are engaging a partner and make space for that partnership to, to exist. Yeah. I think, you know, doing your homework, like you said, knowing your deal. And I think it goes back to what Lori said at the beginning of the episode that she's looking for a pitch. When you come into her investment committee, would you put your own money behind this? 
know your deal inside and out and why you would invest your own capital would this investment committee not be here? I think that's, you know, such a powerful way to frame how you need to go into these conversations. Absolutely. So um, a little plug, if we might, for the Emerging Leaders Committee, um, definitely we'll put this on our website or um, in the podcast notes for you all, but check out www.nmhc.org forward slash emerging leaders to learn a little bit more about that program and the leadership and the activities that they do. Because they, I mean, I'll tell you, Kevin, this is probably one of the most active networks. Uh, networks we have within NMHC. And, you know, a little plug for next month's episode, we will be talking with another individual who started off on the Emerging Leaders Committee and is now um, running his own company and working for the governor of a very large state. I'm not going to spoil any of the details, but you'll have to listen next month. Yes, no spoilers. (laughs) You have to subscribe to hear that next month. Um, Yeah. Exactly. There are so many exciting things um, that happen with this member group. And um, speaking of exciting things, Rishi gave us a little spoiler, um, not too much of one, but a little spoiler about what they're thinking for next year's Young Guns competition. It's not confirmed yet, but um, we are trying to figure out if there's a way we can kind of continue to push uh, the envelope on, on the young guns. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen is we have a lot of amazing people within our industry, not just acquisitions people who can evaluate deals. If anybody has ideas and thoughts and they want to uh, be part of it, we welcome that. So with that, I think we're done with this episode. What do you think, Kevin? Episode two is a wrap. Thank you to our audience. Thank you to the NMHC members for helping us out. Uh, Really appreciate Lori Baker, Clayton Williams, Rishi Gupta, and Field Stern for contributing to this month's episode. Please um, like and subscribe to Code 53. Make sure you're the first to know when new episode comes out. Um, And we look forward to talking with you next month. This is Code 53 signing off. Code 53 is a podcast brought to you by the National Multifamily Housing Council. Based in Washington, D.C., NMHC is a national nonprofit association that represents the leadership of the apartment industry. We bring together the prominent owners, managers, and developers who help create thriving communities by providing apartment homes for 40 million Americans and contribute $3.4 trillion annually to the economy. For more quick facts about us or the sector, see NMHC's website at www.nmhc.org or www.weareapartments.org. We would like to thank the leadership of the Emerging Leaders Committee, NMHC's program for the rising stars in multifamily, for taking to the idea of a podcast and helping bring it to life. Andrew Bonin of Equity Residential, Peter Herbst of Berkshire, and Rick Parlick of RCL Co. all served as advisors and advanced this series from a concept to a full thought. Thanks also to our NMHC colleagues who contributed to this series, including Rick Hoey, Jim Lapides, Raquel Malala, Jessica Chang, and Kim Duty. And of course, thanks to NMHC's president, Doug Bibby, for his endless support of the council's project and staff. Thank you all for your encouragement and expertise. And last but not least, thanks to our gracious production engineer, senior marketing associate, Connor Ellis, who is probably our most loyal listener. We appreciate you hanging on to the end of the credits. Please stay tuned for more content to come.